Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. I'm Adam Masters. It's great to have you here. Before we begin, a reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what is right for you. Any general tax information provided is intended as a guide only. With that out of the way, here's Shane. Thanks, Adam, and good day, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast, where I thought we would talk about inflation, in particular, a comparison to the 1970s. We hear a lot about uh, the 1970s these days because of the inflation surge at the time, and of course, concerns that maybe we're going back to the 1970s in terms of inflation. I must admit, I grew up in the 1970s. It was a fun time. ABBA, Elvis, it was a jumpsuit era for Elvis, wings, John Paul Young, flares, cool cars, somewhat more laid back parents. Um, it was nice, but economically it was a bit of a mess. In fact, it was a big mess. Very high inflation and also very high unemployment at the same time. And it was bad news for investors. Pretty poor returns out of many asset classes through the 1970s. After years of economic pain, voters had had enough. And in the late 1970s, early 1980s, they turned to economically rationalist political leaders like Thatcher, Reagan, Hawke and Keating to fix it up, which they did, ultimately culminating in inflation targeting or rather independent inflation targeting central banks. In fact, ultimately, those policies were so successful that uh, over the last 20 years, there's been much talk about the death of inflation. That said, the experience of the last year when inflation has surged um, tells us that unlike the parrot in the Monty Python script, or skit rather, it really wasn't dead but was just resting, waiting for an occasion to bounce out again, which of course it has done. Initially, the rise in inflation, say a year ago, was seen as transitory. In fact, many are still questioning why central banks need to do much, saying it will soon vanish and we don't have to worry. And in any case, what will rate hikes do to bring down sky-high lettuce prices or lower petrol prices? And of course, the broader concern that uh, all this concern about wages growth picking up is no more than a baby boomer fantasy. So maybe the central bank should just sit back and do nothing. The 1970s experience suggests otherwise. So let's have a look. What happened in the 1970s? Many, of course, associate the high inflation of the 1970s with the oil shocks of 1973 and 1979. But it actually got underway well before that. From around the mid-1960s, inflation started moving up, notably in the US and then in the early 70s in Australia, well before OPEC came along with its big shock. Bunch of factors driving that pickup in inflation included a big expansion in the size of government and welfare under Johnson in the US, Nixon in the US, and of course in Australia in the early 70s under Gough Whitlam. We saw a disruption associated with the Vietnam War, much like we're seeing disruption associated with the war in Ukraine today. We had very tight labor markets. The US unemployment rate fell to 3.4% in 1969. And in Australia, the unemployment rate was below 2% for much of the 1960s. And that, of course, ultimately led to more militant workers and surging wages as workforces threw off the concerns about a return to the 1930s depression. And those memories faded. We had very easy monetary policies. This was the era, or subsequently, it became the era where Friedman raised the dominance and monetarism and this concern that excessive money supply growth will ultimately lead to inflation. 
We also saw social unrest and industrial protection or industry protection tariffs and so on. They also played a role in lower levels of competition and social disruption, which of course may also have arguably contributed to inflation. From 1965 to 1969, US inflation rose from below 2% to above 6%. And then as we went through the late 60s into the, through the 70s, US economy was, was whipsawed from periods of very strong growth very high inflation, then central banks would tighten monetary policy, inflation would fall, growth would eventually turn around again, but inflation would bottom out well above levels in the previous cycle and take off again, which of course would then see central banks having to jam on the brakes again. In fact, the US saw recessions in 1969-70, in 1974-75, and then of course horrible recessions, uh, two recessions back to back in the early 1980s. Ultimately, this process did not come to an end until we got those deep recessions of the early 1980s. But we went through a lengthy period there where US inflation uh, peaked at around 6% in 1969, well before the OPEC crisis. In fact, by the time the OPEC crisis came along in 1973, inflation was already on its way to 8%. It then rose to around 12 13%, fell back again, then ultimately peaked around 1980 or the early 1980s at around 15% before it then fell back to earth. Pretty much a similar story in Australia, although in Australia, the inflation surge really got underway in the early 1970s. And of course it was made worse by 20% plus wages growth in or around 1974 and massive fiscal stimulus at the time. I think there was two financial years in a row there where government spending rose by 20% one year and something like 40% the next year. So those things certainly didn't help. And Australian inflation peaked at almost 18% in 1974-75, came down again, and then by the early 80s was on the way back up again. So obviously not a nice time, but of course the other aspect to it is, is that unemployment trended up right through the 1970s into the early 1980s. And of course you might say, well surely unemployment is worse than inflation. Well the problem is that uh, inflation, rising cost of living affects everybody. Uh, and um, that in the 1970s led to a phenomenon called the misery index, where economists and others would add together the rate of inflation and the rate of unemployment. And of course, those two combined were very, very high. So it's certainly not a time we want to go back to. We ended up with horrible things at the same time, high inflation and high unemployment. And of course, as I'll mention a bit later, this was also very bad for investment markets. Now, one of the big lessons of that period was that the longer inflation stayed up, the harder it came, became to get it back down again. Because what would happen is that businesses and workers would plan on the basis of high inflation and set their pricing for the next year or wage expectations for the next year in line with an ongoing high level of inflation. And that was reinforced in Australia in 1975 by the adoption of the automatic indexation of wages growth to inflation. So it effectively had the effect of locking in high inflation. And ultimately we didn't break that link until the 1983 accord, which traded off wage increases for tax cuts and other social benefits. Now, of course, why, why is all the concern today? Obviously there's big differences today compared to 1969 or even 1980, um, but there are some obvious concerns which have led to the comparison to the 1970s First one is that labor markets are very tight. We've got unemployment in Australia and the US around or below 4% uh, in the US. 
despite a very competitive labour market, wages growth has already picked up to around 5%. So it has happened in one major country. And you can see that in Europe, wages growth is starting to pick up and it's showing signs of pick, starting to pick up in Australia. Demand has been strong. It's not just a supply or a lettuce and petrol driven problem due to supply. It's also due to strong demand. Just look at the level of retail sales in Australia, which even if you adjust for high inflation, remain well above their long-term trend. Similar story in the US. There's a recent study I saw from an investment bank showing that around two-thirds of the inflation in the US is due to demand, one-third due to supply. You can debate the precise mix there, but the point is that demand is also playing a role. And of course, we've seen ongoing supply shocks, not just the pandemic, which keeps, to, keeps jumping up to haunt people, but also the war in Ukraine, energy crises in various places, including Australia, and repeated floods down the east coast of Australia. Government policy has swung away from the economic rationalist approaches of Hawke and Keating, Reagan, Thatcher, and so on. There's now more tolerance for bigger governments and more interventionist governments. The globalisation that followed the fall of the Soviet Union and the adoption or the entry of China to the world trading system is now under threat and appears to be reversing. We're seeing more defence spending, which adds to metal demand and also bigger government. On top of that, we've got demographic factors. Baby boomers are retiring and the ratio of workers to consumers in the economy is falling. Policymakers, you could also argue, were caught napping, focusing on the last war of disinflation coming out of the pandemic just as they were in the 1960s when the big fear was a return to the 1930s deflation. This saw massive fiscal stimulus and money supply growth just at the time, it seems, that uh, the inflation dragon was starting to awake from its slumber. And of course, inflation is now very high and the longer it stays high, as I pointed out earlier, the greater the risk that inflation expectations will move up, making it harder to get inflation back down again. So while central banks can't do much to boost the supply of lettuces or lower petrol prices, they are right, I think, to have moved towards a more aggressive strategy as it will slow demand down to be more in line with supply. And by stressing they are committed to returning inflation to their targets, it will help keep inflation expectations down. Basically, people need to believe that the Fed and the RBA are, gonna, are serious about getting inflation back to their targets. If they believe that, then they will act accordingly and it will make it easier for those central banks to get inflation back down. So why does this matter for investors? Well, we've already seen this year the damage that high inflation can cause. High inflation is bad news, I think, for investment markets because it means higher interest rates, which makes growth, growth assets look less attractive. It means more economic volatility and uncertainty. The period from 1969 to 1982 saw four recessions in the US and three recessions and a serious slowdown in Australia. That means investors demand a higher risk premium to invest. And for shares, a reduced quality of earnings flows from higher inflation as firms tend to understate depreciation or their capex investment requirements when inflation is high. All of these things mean low returns from bonds because it means higher bond yields. And as bond yields go up, you get capital losses for investors in bonds. And of course, it also means that shares and Growth assets generally tend to trade on higher yields and lower price-to-earnings multiples. And we can see through the 1970s that even though earnings and rents, if you want to put it that way, for assets like property and infrastructure rose with inflation, that was offset 
by negative valuation effect as investors demanded lower PEs or higher yields to invest. So the bottom line is that a period of sustained high inflation can be a problem for bonds, shares and other growth assets. It's, uh, when you look at the data, it's not entirely clear that inflation, um, that those assets are protected by, by high inflation. In fact, you could argue the opposite. When you look at the 1970s, it was the only decade, if you go back over the last 120 years, where bonds, both in Australia and globally, and shares, Australia and globally, all had poor returns at the same time. So we certainly don't want a continuation of very high inflation or indeed a return to the 1970s period of very high inflation. So it is in investors' interest, I think, that inflation is kept low and stable. So I think there are reasons for optimism though. And I think a return to the 1970s sort of inflation is unlikely. Yes, there are a bunch of structural forces that suggest the disinflation of the last few decades is reversing and that we probably won't go back to the very low inflation rates we saw prior to the pandemic. In other words, inflation will settle at a higher number, but probably not as high as it was in the 1970s and certainly hopefully not. But there's several reasons for optimism on that front. Firstly, central banks understand the problem. They took a while but they seem to have woken up to the problem and the Fed is now saying its commitment to getting inflation back down is unconditional, even if it means the short-term pain of a recession. And in Australia, the Reserve Bank has indicated it will do what is necessary to get inflation back to its target. So I think those things are good in sending a strong signal that they are serious, that they're not going to tolerate a permanent breakout in inflation like we saw in the late 60s and through the 1970s. Secondly, while inflation is high, and it is very high, pushing around 9% in many countries, uh, currently estimated to be around 6% in Australia, on its way to around 7%. We haven't yet seen the rise in longer-term inflation expectations. For example, in the US, the University of Michigan undertakes a survey of US consumers, and they say their longer-term inflation expectation is around 3%, whereas in 1980 it was around 10%. It's much harder to get inflation back down when everyone expects it to be 10%, compared to today, when they expect inflation to be around 3%. So I think that is a positive. On top of this, it is worth stressing that uh, labour markets are radically different today than they were back in the 1970s. They're far more competitive with much lower levels of unionisation. In Australia, for example, 14.3% of employees, and that of course includes me, by the way, are members of a union. Whereas in 1976, it was 51% of employees. So far more competitive labour markets. Finally, as we noted in last week's podcast, there are signs of an easing in cyclical inflation pressures in the US. And the US tends to lead the rest of the world by about six months. So that could be a positive if it flows through to lower inflation numbers over the course of the, last, the next six months in the US. So given those four factors, I'm a little optimistic that yes, we do face short-term risks, but we're not going to go back to the 1970s of very high inflation, very high unemployment, and of course, um, extreme volatility in economies, and ultimately the poor returns that went with that for investment markets. So while inflation may not go back to the pre-pandemic lows, and the longer-term tailwind for investment markets from ever lower inflation interest rates may be behind us, a full-on return to the 1970s malaise looks unlikely. Anyway, 
at the end of this week's podcast. I hope that that has been of use and all the best for the week or so ahead. Until we meet again, adios. Now to stay up to date on all the latest from Dr. Oliver and the Simplifying Investing podcast series more broadly, be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. That way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back soon, but before we go, a quick reminder that all topics discussed today are general in nature and haven't taken your personal circumstances into account. It's important you consider seeking tailored financial advice that is relevant to your own situation before making any important financial decisions.